It's an undeniable part of our region's reality. Sex trafficking is happening here, and it's far worse than most people probably think. Young women controlled by pimps being trafficked along the 401-402 corridor, forced to sell their bodies to men in hotel rooms in Windsor, London, Sarnia, and elsewhere. On this episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, the first episode of a three-part series on sex trafficking in southwestern Ontario, called Trafficking 401. In later parts, we'll hear from survivors of sex trafficking and a woman who runs a so-called John School for men who've been busted in prostitution stings. But in this first episode, host Craig Needles talked to police and the head of the London Abused Women's Centre about just why this region seems to be such a magnet for traffickers. This is the Blackburn News Podcast. It's a problem that's both hidden and horrifying. Most people who live along the 401 and 402 corridor stretch don't know that the area is called a hub for human trafficking by law enforcement and by advocates. However, it is. And the impacts, as you'll hear in this series, are devastating. It's a psychological thing. You become bondage, a Stockholm Syndrome, Patty Hearst, all of that, right? I believed at that stage the only reason I was alive was because of him. And that could be snuffed out that quick. That's Caroline Pugh Roberts explaining what her life was like when she was a victim of human trafficking. You might be wondering how that could happen to somebody in our region and why this area is considered a hub. Megan Walker is the executive director of the London Abused Women's Centre. She says there's a number of reasons traffickers target our area. We believe it's because London is really the centre point between Detroit and Toronto. And we know that we have a number of exits into the city, uh, you know, on the off ramps. Um, And particularly along uh, Wellington Street South, there are a number of hotels and motels which make it convenient for women to be popped in and out of, uh, as well as for men to access, um, you know, uh, purchasing sexual services from those very uh, exploited women. So we do see a lot of individuals um, coming into the city from not only Windsor, but also Detroit. And um, in the States, they have a prohibition model of prostitution, which means that um, it's completely illegal, uh, both sides, both for men who are purchasing sexual services and for women who are uh, being exploited. Um, so it's the, I think there's a bit of a fear on behalf of men that they may be caught and uh, charged, whereas, um, I, you know, they come into London and although it's illegal for men to purchase sexual services, it, it's completely uh, decriminalized for women to provide sexual services and I think they feel like there'll be a lot less hassle coming into the city of London. It's impossible to say how many women are trafficked in and out of our community, but we know that the number is significant. In Windsor, police are aware that being a border city means sex trafficking is prevalent in their community and it spreads east from there. Constable Mark Lemke of Windsor Police explains. Ease of travel. So a number of cities are directly linked to the 401. So you drive along the 401 And London is right at the 401. There's hotels right at the 401. So a sex trafficker might bring a victim to a hotel in London and stay there for a bit. They're right at the 401. It's easy to find hotels. The same with um, the Kitchener-Waterloo area. There's hotels right at the 401 that can be used uh, by sex traffickers or sex trade workers. 
And then when they come to Windsor, the it, they just follow the 401 to the end, and there's uh, hotels that they use on Huron Church in Windsor right at the end of the 401. So, I mean, the 401 is just um, it's for ease of travel. It's e- e- easier to go to cities that are right on the 401 rather than travel from the 401 to a city that's away from the 401. That means women are trafficked in and out of our communities quickly in order to avoid being caught and to make sure they're in places with increased clientele. Even conventions, which are often hosted in hotels near the 401, become targets for pimps, according to Detective Cam Halliday, the head of the Human Trafficking Unit for London Police. Our, our city has uh, a wealth of uh, hotels in the south end of the city. We have approximately 12 or 13 hotels within five minutes of the, the 401. So that in itself, uh, geographically, it, it works um, that uh, people can come in and they're, they're, I guess there's a perception of a lot of anonymity uh, with so many hotels. And, and with many of those hotels, of course, they have uh, great conference or meeting rooms. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, sometimes these traffickers are, are smart or people in the sex trade are smart and they will essentially follow these conferences and things is kind of the term following the money has been used and uh, they'll just go where they think there's a, a good populace uh, for their activities. Oh, so if there's a convention, and, you know, this is obviously uh, uh, before when we were doing the in-person conventions, but if there was a convention for, for whatever, they, they go to those hotels knowing that there would be available clientele essentially is the, is the thought process. There. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way to describe it. And, uh, I'm not suggesting every convention, but uh, for sure, I, I think it just makes sense that, uh, you know, if, if you're kind of plotting your, your route or what have you, um, I, I think it makes sense that you go where you think you're going to have uh, the best market or the, the most amount of people there to try to attract for your services. For the most part, traffickers are targeting younger women, which means post-secondary institutions also are among the things that draw them to specific communities, according to Walker. We need to also remember we have both a university and a college here with lots of young girls, some who are away for the first time in their lives. Um, And so there's a lot of luring that goes on from uh, the university and from Fanshawe. But lots of people in the city wouldn't know this is happening because, frankly, why would you know this is happening if you're not following the news? Um, It's one of those things that's forever been hidden. Um, It's still being hidden. Um, And so it's difficult for people to understand that this is happening. But so let's talk about how do we end this? So we know that um, if the sole um, purpose of the police is to focus on trafficking, We're going to have a tough time ending it, largely because it's really reliant upon the woman to either identify or disclose or ultimately testify that she's a victim of trafficking. And she she will not likely do that because she's incredibly fearful of her trafficker for lots of reasons. First of all, he's likely perpetuated a lot of violence against her in the past. Um, He's likely said to her that he knows where her family lives and that maybe she has a younger sister and if she leaves, he's going to go after the younger sister. Um, Maybe threatening to kill a favorite pet, maybe threatening to kill her. And all of those are very real concerns for her. So if police know these things are happening, why can't they just put a stop to it? Well, it's not that easy. Demand is significant, Halliday says, and as long as that's the case, trafficking will be impossible to stop entirely. 
I think if you were to speak to any of our, our community groups as well, they would say the same thing. Uh, as long as people are out there willing to pay for the sexual services, then this type of activity is going to go on. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have, uh, I don't know if this has been discussed previously, but there are uh, independent sex trade workers who are not being trafficked that, that choose this lifestyle. That's certainly their, uh, their decisions and, and up to them to do, and, and that's fine. There's, there's no judgment there either. Um, but again, when it comes down to the trafficking aspect of it, I, I think it's diligence, it's being aware, I think it's bringing uh, understanding to people, and like the traffickers, for instance, just about what, how horrible this is for the people involved, and is educating the, the younger people coming up, uh, like I'm talking about the 12 and 13 and 14 year olds when, you know, trafficking can basically can start, and just making them aware of just how brutal this lifestyle can be. It's not uh, a colleague of mine who would always say to people, it's some people have that illusion of it's, it's like the Pretty Women or the Pretty Woman movie with Julia Roberts. It, it, they have this illusion, you know, this person's going to help me get my nails done, my hair done. I'm going to have money. I'm going to have cars. I'm going to eat out. And, uh, you know, not to make it all about materialistic stuff, but it really comes down to that, and it's anything but that. It may be presented to them like that, but it, it certainly within a day or two they find out it's certainly not that. So educating, and the London Police Service has been doing that through uh, at very young ages. It's now part of the Values, Influence, and Peers, or the VIP programs at the schools. Our school officers are doing a wonderful job and uh, just trying to educate. And I think that's what we need to do, continue to educate, uh, provide enforcement, and provide assistance to the people to help them exit. Police officers and advocates both know that charging and subsequently convicting traffickers is incredibly difficult. It's almost as difficult to get women out of being trafficked. These women have been misled. They have been tricked, Walker says. They've been made to believe they need their trafficker to survive. That results in dependence and a reluctance to report or testify. You know, there's many tactics that are used by traffickers. In some cases, it's at a bar where... One guy will come up really aggressively towards a girl and then um, another man will come in and say, hey, buddy, get out of here. And so he says, oh, I'm really sorry. Not all men are like that. Glad that guy's left the bar. Can I buy you a drink? And so it starts by like he's like the savior, right? He's come in and saved her and he's attractive and um, you know, he says, you know, let's go home tonight. And we live in a hookup society where girls and boys and men and women are hooking up on an ongoing basis. That's what they do today. Uh, and then he follows up and says, you know, let's go out for dinner or let's go to a movie or whatever it might be. And I'll pay for you to have your nails done. I'll pay for you to, you know, um, your tuition or whatever it might be. And uh, then after a very short period of time, he says, look, I've done all this for you. You owe me. And what you're going to do is go out and bring me home some money. And if she says no, he again threatens threatens her and threatens her family members. And so she's pretty much in a stuck position at that point. Um, and she'll go do it. And thinking in her mind, it'll only be once or twice. But traffickers, once they get going with these girls, they'll... They'll turn them out sometimes, put them out on the streets um, to serve sometimes 18 to 21 men every single day. And let's remember, when I say to serve men, it means to be raped by men. 
Um, the trafficker will say to to serve men, but basically what's happening is she's out there um, to make herself available to the highest bidder for the trafficker to be raped and um, sodomized and to be tortured and all sorts of horrific things. And basically men who are paying for her to do this um, are trying to fulfill either their fetish fantasies or their porn-fueled fantasies. It's a really horrific thing. And once they're in, they can't get out. It's really, really hard. Police officers are aware of that, and it makes getting convictions difficult. But that isn't always the top priority when a woman comes forward to police. Lemke told Blackburn News the most important thing is keeping a woman safe. We take a very, very soft approach. I mean, we try to be as caring as possible and uh, really not push to gain statements and gain information to, uh, like, prosecutions and court charges, that uh, has to be a secondary thing with these cases. I mean, with these cases, you have to be very kind of uh, gentle about it and uh, approach them with first keeping in mind of helping the person rather than uh, worrying about what kind of charges you could generate down the road. The difficulty of getting those convictions means the traffickers stay active. They find more women to manipulate and they try to make more money. However, some women are able to get out. We'll get into their stories later in the series, but Walker tells family members of traffic women that their daughters or their sisters may never be the same again, even if they escape. The girl that left, the girl that was recruited, the girl that was lured, your daughter, if we can get her out and reconcile with your family, she is not the same person that left and she will never be that person because the whole um, idea of traffickers is strip away uh, girls and women to their very core and destroy their soul. So they have ultimate control over, over that girl. That takes a long time. Like trauma-informed counseling is absolutely critical. Um, knowledge of torture as you're providing services to women, counseling services is critical. Um, and for families, you know, I'm going to tell you how difficult this is. We, we have family members who find out from the friends of girls at Western or Fanshawe or wherever that that girl has been um, trafficked or is being trafficked. And those parents will go on the internet every single day to look to see if their daughters are being advertised and for what purpose. So what kinds of, you know, fetish situations are they being advertised for or torture experiences or rape experiences. And they can identify their daughters even if their faces are not being shown by birthmarks or scars or things like that. And so we have now, like you, you can imagine the incredible feeling of helplessness from a parent to look and see their 14 or 15 year old daughter or 20 year old daughter, whatever age she is, advertised on a website for men to do outrageous and horrific things to her, you know, and they they can't find her. And so that's the other part of this is that these girls are not staying in one location. They may come into London, you know, it's part of a circuit 
they'll, the traffickers bring women into London for a few days and then they're off to Woodstock and all the way down the highway. And then they come back and they're in London again. It's very difficult to find these girls. And I just, it's heart-wrenching to watch the despair of parents whose children are lost to uh, traffickers. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was produced by Haley Cheng, Jessica Stokes, Patrick Magermans, and Taylor Dixon. It was written by Craig Needles and Scott Kitching. On the next episode... He one night put a crack pipe in my face and said, if you don't use this, I'm never letting you sleep again. We'll hear from survivors of sex trafficking who tell their stories about how they were controlled and abused by pimps until they were finally able to escape. Remember, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and find other episodes of the podcast at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.